We're going to have an awesome day today. Still on this series of occupying until he comes. Now, occupy means that you, you get busy. doesn't mean you sit down and you just get dormant or complacent. You get busy being about the Father's business. That's what Jesus told his mom and dad when they came looking for him and found him in the temple. And he was gone for how many days? Three days? I guess, I guess kids were used to doing that back then. I don't know. But uh, he find, they find him in the temple, and he says, I'm about my father's business. Now, had I said that to my mom and dad, I probably got a spanking. But, uh, <clears throat> but he was occupying till he comes. And I like what the Lord was saying to us a moment ago about the forerunner and the bulldozer and coming out of the bedroom and out of that bridal chamber area. We've got a... We've got a um, and, and I know that I'll probably step on some toes here, and I, I'm not intending to hurt you at all, okay? But we have to get these bridey clothes off of us and begin getting on the war clothes that will bring Christ's kingdom into the earth. So many people have these bridey clothes on, and they're always sensitive, and they're always, you know, you have to watch what you say to them and stuff like that, or you're going to hurt their feelings and those kind of things. We need to get on these clothes of warfare, begin doing war in the heavenlies over Florida and where God has called us to. Pastor Kendall mentioned a moment ago, we're not called to be a local church. We are a hub. We're an apostolic hub that's called to impact regions and land for the Lord. Our, Our mission is this whole state of Florida. And so, but I'm excited about this Occupy to Come Till He Comes series Uh, because it brings us into a place of legitimacy with the Lord, of being a son or being a daughter. Say legitimacy. And if you didn't get to hear last week's message, you can go to my YouTube channel, which is Apostle Ken, and listen to it. Because I talked there about the difference of a legitimate son and a person who feels illegitimate, and how one is under the plumb line of, of being as a son, and the other one is over here feeling illegitimate. Now, a lot of ways, there's a lot of ways you can shift that. Sometimes people just need to get saved, and then they go shift right over here. Sometimes they just need to start praying in tongues, and they'll shift right over here. Sometimes they need to renew their mind with the Word, and then they'll shift right under the plumb line. Last Friday before the uh, healing service, had all kind of negative bombardments that day, and I just, I felt that witchcraft oppression on me. And so I told Cheryl, I said, I'm going to the church early. And so I got here probably quarter of six. And I just got in my office and I just started praying. I started shaking things off. And I even began shaking like this, praying in tongues real loud. Then I began singing. And I just started singing. I must have sang five or six songs. And after doing all that singing and all that praying, something began lifting off of me, that oppressiveness I felt, those negative witchcraft words that had been spoken into the atmosphere that I heard begin to break off. And all of a sudden, I stepped in again to who I am. I'm an heir. When I had those feelings on me, I felt like I was over here in the place of illegitimacy. But when I broke that off, I knew that immediately I came back under the plumb line of being a son or being an heir. But you know, if we sit down and just take the bridal aspect, then we won't break into our freedom that we need to break into. You know, when you look at the seven churches of Revelation, and I know that some of you are probably futurist, you think those are ages to come, because a lot of people do, those churches actually existed when John prophesied and spoke that word. This actually the way that the churches were at that time. I don't believe that we're in a Laodicean age. Some people believe that we're in a Laodicean age. I believe that we're in an age of coming into being a Philadelphia church. I believe that if you're going to look at it in a futuristic sense, I believe, I believe that we are a Philadelphia church, that we're not a Laodicean church. But I know some people think that we are in a Laodicean church age, 
But that's because you think from a negative aspect. Whenever you think from a negative aspect, you see everything through dark gray or middle gray or light gray. You see things that way. And so God wants us to shift our thinking to come under sonship. And when you begin thinking that way, you start thinking, I'm a tribe of Philadelphia. I'm not a tribe of the Laodicean. I'm not a tribe of, uh, of Sardis who had a name that they were alive, but they were not. I'm not a tribe of Thyatira who, who tolerated Jezebel. I'm not a tribe of Ephesus who left their first love. Now, all of them had a way to come back. He gave every one of them a way to come back. <coughs> I'm of the tribe of Philadelphia. I'm of the tribe that is a warrior tribe and a tribe that is a co-heir with the Lord. In Romans 8, chapters, chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, it says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Say heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, I did an online class last Tuesday night with uh, Tammy Brunk. She does one every week. She's Asked me to do several across the year, and I agreed to it. And I love this online class. It was about kingdom leadership, and I'm probably going to teach that in a, in a separate setting than a Sunday morning here at our church because it was very, very good, what kingdom leadership looks like. But at the end of the, when they were doing questions, uh, a lady by the name of Melissa, we've known her for years. She lives out in Phoenix now, used to live in Jacksonville. She asked me this question. She said, can you tell us about the dark places you've been through in your life? Now, I have never asked anyone, have anyone to ask me that. Uh, since being a Christian, can you tell me about the dark places you've been in your life and what you did to come out of those? And so I, st- I, I had to think for a moment because I, I <clears throat> hadn't really been in a lot of dark places, but I went all the way back to 1979 to when I backslid and got away from the Lord. And we were in the process of building our home, our first home. We were 25 years old, and uh, we built our first home out in the country. And I had had a truck accident. I was already away from the Lord when I had this truck accident. Had a, I was going 55 down the road, and a drunk, drunk guy hit me head on, pulled over in my lane, hit me head on. And it broke this arm over here. I had a hernia. I had a broke nose. And and so I was out of work and couldn't work for eight weeks, although I had good insurance and all of that. But <clears throat> I was backslidden. You know who had to help me move in? I didn't go to church for those eight, week, eight months. You know who had to help me move into my house because I couldn't do it? The church. They helped me. And I just, I thank God for it now, but I had to eat a lot of crow. Because my pride had gotten in my way. And here, come the, here, comes, here comes the faithful warriors. That even though I was backslidden, here they come to help Cheryl move. I couldn't pick up anything. I was just one week out of the hospital uh, of having a hernia repair. So I couldn't pick up anything. Here comes the faithful helping. We get moved into the house. It's about the eighth month of me being backslidden. And about a week or so after we move in, I'm laying on our sofa in the den there. We, had a, we built a wood-burning heater in there. We never heated our house with electric heat. The whole time that we lived in that house, not one of us, not Cheryl or I or our four kids had a cold. None of us. And we heated our house with, electric heat, with a wood-burning heater. And, uh, but it had to get down to 40 before we could turn it on. And... Uh, but I, I was backslidden. We'd moved in. I'd been in about a week, and I was laying there on the couch. And under the, corner, uh, under the edge of that couch was the corner of my Bible. I didn't have a clue how that Bible got there. Not this one, but another one. I didn't have a clue how that Bible got there and why it was there. And so I picked up that Bible. and turned it to Matthew 6, and I began reading, Take No Thought. For your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, because your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. 
And as I was reading this, I began to weep because I heard God talking to me through these scriptures. And then he said these words. He said, I sure have missed you. Not words of condemnation. I immediately jumped up and I went into our utility room because I needed to cry before the Lord. I stayed in there four hours crying before him. And every day for over a year, I went to that utility room to pray, even though I worked shift work after I went back to work. I made a four-hour slot every day to go in there and pray for over a year because my relationship with him had been so renewed. And the thing about the Lord is, is that when he's wooing us back to him or when he's trying to get us into a new level or a new place or realize that we're co-heirs, he's not going to come to you and condemn you. He didn't do that to me. He's not going to release the word of condemnation to you and say how terrible you have been because you've been away from me for eight months. He's not going to do that. He's just going to say things like, I sure have missed you. I love God like that. Now, God and I, we have a different relationship. There's times that I shout at him and holler at him and even get angry with him. And, uh, and you know, and he just, uh, you've heard me say this before. I got angry with him, didn't talk to him one time for two weeks. And, um, and then at the end of two weeks, I got before him, began weeping and crying and shouting at him and telling him how rotten of a job I thought he had done. But God's not religious, so that doesn't bother him. That bothers, some of, bothers, it bothers you, some of you, that I said that. That's just a relationship that we have. It doesn't bother him at all. And so I went on for about 30 minutes. And after that 30 minutes, I finally quit crying and was just laying there on the carpet in our bedroom. And... Um, he said this to me. He said, are you finished? I'll never forget that, John, for him to say to me, are you finished? As if, though, if I wanted to go on, I could. He would listen to me. And I said, yes, sir. That's the way I said it. Yes, sir, I'm finished. And he said, didn't you make me the Lord of your life? I said, yes, I did. He said, then why don't you let me handle the affairs of your life. And I began living life a, a lot differently after that. Because see, when, when Jesus is Lord, it's different from him being a Savior. Now, I'm totally off of my message now. When Jesus is Lord, it's totally different than from him being a Savior. When he's a Savior, it's just about, for the most part, especially if you come from the Baptist, like we did, it's just about going to heaven. But when he becomes Lord, it's about him living in you and through you. And you submitting to who he is and what he wants to do. And sometimes he takes us through the valley of the shadow of death. The psalmist said, yea, though I walk through this valley of the shadow of death. There's times we walk through the valley of the shadow. And then you get over to Psalms 84. It says, uh, talks about the man, blessed is the man who walks through the valley of Baca, which is the valley of despair and weeping, but he makes that place a well. There are times that even the hard times you're going through, God has allowed them to refine your character. So your character is not refound, refined on the mountaintop. Your character is defined in the lowest places because what's in you will come out in those deep places. And, and if it's good stuff in you, then good stuff's going to come out of your mouth. If there's not good stuff in you, then that's going to come out of your mouth also. And then all of a sudden you can say, wow, I didn't know that was in there. Now I can shift from being illegitimate to being a son because I'm going to bring that under captivity to the Lord. And I'm going to make Jesus Lord in my life, not just Savior, but Lord in my life. I'm going to give him the ability to rule and reign on the inside of me. It's a good word. I got to clap for myself. We are heirs of righteousness. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. 
Now, one of the things that we're doing here, and you, we don't see the full revelation of awakening yet, but we are preparing, just as Noah did, not an ark, but we're preparing a place and an atmosphere and a region and a state for awakening. That's what we're doing right now. Every time we make a decree, we're shifting the atmosphere for God to come inhabit. Every time we prophesy, the atmosphere is shifting for God to come and break a, bring awakening. Every time we go to Tallahassee, Hal, and we stand in that governor's office or on the 22nd floor, we're making a place for God to come inhabit Florida. Amen. So don't you think for one minute that our efforts or your efforts are in vain because at some point, a suddenly is going to happen. A suddenly is going to take place. A suddenly is something that has been going on for years in the background. Then all of a sudden it manifests suddenly. Like when the day of Pentecost had fully come, suddenly there was a sound of a rushing mighty wind. Paul and the other, not Paul, but Peter and the other disciples and apostles and 120 of them had been preparing the atmosphere for 40 or 50 days from the time that Jesus ascended. They were preparing the atmosphere, getting the atmosphere ready. Now, they were also, you know, probably scared because they had run with this guy they just killed. And a lot of people knew it. So they might have been in hiding also. But then all of a sudden, a suddenly takes place. It spills out of a room, an upstairs room, and out into the streets. 3,000 come to the Lord. That's what's going to happen in Florida and in America. There's going to be a suddenly. And by faith, we're stepping into it right now. Having not fully seen the awakening yet, we've, seen, we've tasted bits and pieces of it. But all of, at some point, a suddenly is going to take place. Listen. When we become heirs of righteousness, we then begin, begin getting in right alignment. Because when, when the Lord said to you and I, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he was saying to seek right alignment with the Lord. To get in alignment with him, to think the way that he thinks, to talk the way that he talks. To think about yourself the way that God thinks about you. That's a good one there. So how do you think about yourself? Are you down in the dumps all the time and woe is me? Or do you think, as Patty brought out, do you think that you're royalty and a king's kid? Which one do you think you are? Do you think like the children of Israel who came out of spying out the land and ten of them said we're grasshoppers in their sight? Is that the way you see yourself? Or do you see yourself like Joshua and Caleb who said, oh, wait a minute. No, we're not thinking this way. Here's how we're thinking. We're well able to possess this land. Here you had 10 thinking one way, and you had two thinking another way. It's always the remnant that gets in. It's not the multitude. It's always the remnant. And they were thinking in a whole different aspect. And actually, when the Lord released judgment upon them and said, listen, your carcasses are going to die in the wilderness because you didn't believe what I had for you. So you're going to wander in the wilderness, everyone except those that are 21 and younger, except for Joshua and Caleb. For they have a different spirit. Say different spirit. That different spirit is so important for you and I to have. A different spirit is going to be a spirit of joy. It's not going to be a spirit of despair. Thank you, Cheryl. I will. A spirit of, the spirit of joy is going to be all over you, not the spirit of despair, because you're thinking differently. You're thinking as a royalty. You're thinking as a warrior. You're thinking like Joshua and Caleb thought, I am well able to possess this land. Amen. Listen to this. This is Colossians 1, chapter 12 through four, verses 12 through 14. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. Say, I'm, say, I'm qualified. Qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So now in the dominion of darkness, and I I really believe that there are some believers who are still allowing the dominion of darkness to influence them. Because they're acting totally opposite the way that the Lord has called us to act. They act in despair. They get, they, get, they get offended easily. They get to having a pity party real easily. And, there's, and, and I'm not saying that doesn't come on everybody. I mean, it comes on me. But just like I did last Friday, I didn't let it stay on me. I knew it wasn't supposed to stay on me. And I knew that there was ways I could get out of that. And so we have to begin making a divine shift and coming out of that dominion of darkness. Even, even when the dominion, and see, I had a spirit of rejection. I know the language that we talk when rejection's on us. People who walk in rejection, they have a language of rejection. And they will speak the language of rejection, even though they're a believer in Jesus. They'll speak the language of rejection, acting totally opposite the way the Lord has called them to act. But here he says that he has transferred us out of the dominion of darkness and into another kingdom of of his beloved son, or the kingdom of the son of his love, I think the way the King James brings it out. He's rescued us from the darkness of depression, the darkness of uh, rejection, the darkness of satanic dominion, the darkness of witchcraft, and now he's transferred us into another kingdom. I belong to another kingdom. That's why, that's why, I, that's why, let me just, let me find a way to say it without offending anybody. God has called us to some degree to every one of the cultural mountains. Lauren Cunningham and Bill Bright were the first ones who came up with the cultural mountains. It wasn't, uh, what's his name? Lance Walnut. It wasn't Lance Walnut. It was Lauren Cunningham and Bill Bright. We have been called to influence those mountains. And the reason that they are the way they are now is because the church wanted to get raptured instead of staying here on this earth and doing what God called her to do. I'm not saying the Lord's not coming back. I mean, he is. But my title of the, my message for the, I have, this is the third one, is Occupy Until He Comes. And so one of the things that he has spoken into my life is to be involved especially in government and when 2020 if you thought 2018 i was really involved you wait till 2020 gets here you'll see me get into another gear you'll see another anointing come on me you'll see another mantle come on me and you'll see me begin acting differently and i'll probably be making a bunch of trips into washington dc i made four in 2018 Say it, prophet. Say it, prophet. Prophesy it. We have to start now. See, he's transferred us, which is the Greek word metahistamy. Metahistamy. Sounds like antihistamine, doesn't it? It gives you a Holy Ghost antihistamine that gets that dominion of darkness off of you. Mahistamy, which is To a compound word, meta means to change place or condition. And when he moves us out of the kingdom of darkness, he literally changes our place and condition. But he just doesn't leave us there. He adds the word histomy there. And it means to place or to stand or to move from one place to another. So he changes our place and condition, but he also brings us in and establishes us in the kingdom of the son of his love. I am a kingdom person. I am not a local church person. 
I am a kingdom person. I am the church. I don't even go to a local church anymore. Thank you. Local church is not even a biblical term. I'm a kingdom person. I used to hear guys preach all the time. It's about the local church. It's about the local church. It's about the local church. And there's nowhere in the Bible that tells us that the message of the apostles were about the local church. Their message was the gospel of the kingdom. And that's the message they released. They knew in that day that they were the church. They knew that they were. And they operated that way. That's a good word there. See, we've been transferred. Say transferred. I've been transferred out of rejection into righteousness. Listen to this. Through the shed blood of Christ, we're brought into right alignment with our Father. We stand before Him totally forgiven, without guilt, redeemed, healed, and delivered. Sozoed. We stand before Him this way. <clears throat> when the enemy brings somebody to your mind that you have already forgiven and you start having those evil thoughts about that person that you once had, you need to say this, no, 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 I'm not thinking this way because I have already forgiven that person. I choose to walk in forgiveness, so I am not thinking that way in Jesus' name. You take authority over your emotions. You take authority over your destiny when you do that. You don't do like the Malone family did for years, hold a grudge for the rest of your life. My dad went to his grave holding grudges. I'm not. I look exactly like my dad, but I have my mom's heart. I do. I really do. I did the DNA thing here a while back. She, she bought one for me to do, and she wanted to see, you know, our, my DNA compared to her DNA. Dad's already gone and uh, passed away in 2012. And so... I got my DNA back, and I told mom I started listing my DNA. I said, I'm 70% Irish English, Irish European. I'm some percent Sahara and 0.1 Neanderthal. <laughs> yeah. And so I was telling mom, I sent it to her. I text my, my DNA to her, and she said, you got everything your dad is. I said, no, I didn't. I said, I got your heart. My mom started weeping on the other side of the phone. And, uh, and I do, Cheryl will tell you, I do have her heart. And, but now I also have another heart, and I have the heart of my heavenly father, and I have been forgiven. I am without guilt. I am redeemed. I am healed. I am delivered. One of the things I like, uh, two things I like about the song, Oh, How He Loves Me. I love the part where he says, I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way he loves me. See, maintaining regrets shows me that you're still, to some degree, maybe not fully, over here on the dominion of darkness and the illegitimacy side, when you're maintaining regrets. Maintaining regrets means that you're working on them all the time. It means that you're nurturing them all the time. And that song says, I don't have time to maintain these regrets. And I, the other part I love about that song is where it talks about the sloppy wet kiss. Now, some people don't like the sloppy wet kiss, and so they'll do the unforeseen kiss version. But I like the sloppy wet kiss version because it displays intimacy with the Lord, as opposed to the unforeseen kiss. They tried to clean it up so it didn't look like that somebody was, you know, French, or, or, or kissing, Pentecostal kissing, that's what I call it. <laughs> you know what Pentecostal kissing is, don't you? Okay, I won't go there. <laughs> I'll leave it right there. But it displays intimacy is what it displays. That song does. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
and in him I am righteous. Say this with me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's something you need to say all the time. That and and, uh, Romans 8, 1 and 2. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made them free from the law of sin and death. Freedom. And read it out of a good translation. Don't read it out of that part that says, if therefore there's any man in Christ, he is a new creation. Uh, Let's see. No. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit, because that's not in the original translation. Some of you may not have known that. Anywhere you see italics in your Bible, it wasn't in the original manuscript. Listen to this. It's gone. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated us for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. (coughs) Here's what he says that we have in Christ and because of his blood. That because of that, we have boldness to enter into the holy place. That means I can step into the presence of God. I talked with Tim Sheets the other day. Tim and I are having similar experiences with the Lord right now. But he's having one that's a little bit different than I am. But we we talked about it just to download and process and try to find out where the Lord's taking both of us. But one of his, his experiences is that he is now stepping in to the spirit and seeing what God is seeing and stepping out when he needs to talk to his family and his wife. And I thought that, that amazing. But if you look at what the blood of Jesus does, it allows us to move into the holy place. And if we don't have condemnation in our heart, we can move in there just like that. If our heart's not condemning us, we should be able to move into the holy place without our heart condemning us. And here's why. Romans 8, 1 again. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's none whatsoever. And so it's important that we begin stepping into that holy place. That year I told you about a while ago in 1979 and 1980 that I spent with the Lord, four hours a day, the moment I decided to walk into that place of talking to him. I didn't ta- I, it didn't even take 10 seconds. I was there just like that. Just like that. Immediately in that place. And I think many times we don't, including myself, we don't get into that holy place because we allow condemnation to set into our heart. And we don't feel worthy enough to come into that holy place, even when the Lord's inviting us there. He's inviting us to come. He's inviting you and I to come into that holy place. But many times there's condemnation. But I'll tell you what, if you'll do this, if you'll start quoting Romans 8, 1 and 2 about 20 times a day for the next 30 days and just say it out loud, I promise you in 30 days' time, you will have changed the atmosphere right here. Your atmosphere will be changed. And you'll start stepping into that place just like that. Thank you, Jesus. Boldness to enter the Holy of Holies, we are able to draw near in full assurance of faith because of His blood. Because of His blood, we no longer have an evil conscience. Somebody says, but I do. Get that condemnation off of you. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Apply the blood and hold on to your confession. Don't let your confession fall by the wayside. Hold on to it in Jesus' name. Next page. I want to talk about our position in Christ, and I'm going to share something with you briefly that I didn't write on here. I want to share about our position in Christ in relationship. We are related to him. We are co-heirs with him. Uh, Christ is Lord over our life. 
We have been grafted into the vine. We are of Abraham's seed. Galatians, uh, Galatians 3.29 says, if you, if, you are, if, you, um, if you have Christ in you, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So I, I have the same heir and same right as any Hebrew does. Everything that they have, I have. I have some things they don't have unless they're born again. And I'll, let me say this about those who believe that there is a dual salvation. There's only one way to the Lord for both Jew and Gentile, and that is through Jesus Christ. Because there's some that believe that there's dual, a dual covenant, and the Jews are going go to go be with the Lord when he comes simply because they're Jew, and that's not true. Everybody has to come through Jesus. Listen, relationship, number one, he wants us to be intimate with him. When he spoke to the Philadelphia church, not the Philadelphia, the Laodicean church, what were some things he said to them? Lukewarm. What else did he say they were? He's going to spew them out of his mouth. That's why you can't be lukewarm. What else did he say to them? Prefer him to be hot or cold. What else did he say? I like that part right there. You know why he preferred him to be hot or cold? Because you can work with a hot person and you can work with a cold person. But that person that's right in between and is tempted, you can hardly work with them. And so, what else did he say to him? He said, you, you say that you're rich and have need of nothing. But I say that you're poor and blind and miserable and naked. But that wasn't the redemptive part. He told him to repent, but you go on down. We, we fail to read all the way down through that verse. You get to verse 20, and he says this. The Lord says this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens unto me, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. And that first thing that he wanted to restore to the Laodicean church was the level of intimacy with Christ that happens to us when we first come to the Lord. A heavy level of intimacy. We've got to move into that new level of intimacy. I did something different this morning in my office. I come to my office every Sunday about 8.45, 9 o'clock just to be by myself. I don't want you to come over and talking to me, okay? It's to be by myself unless I invite you. But I took my guitar out this morning, and I began playing and playing before the Lord and playing my guitar, and I was rusty, but he didn't care. My voice wasn't rusty, and I began singing the songs of the Lord, and I could feel the pleasure of God coming into my office and begin filling my office, begin feeling myself move into a new level of intimacy. Also, there's a level of relationship that's casual. Many times we become too casual in our relationship with the Lord. See, when we call him Lord, we're saying that he's ruler. And I'm not saying that he's your friend, but we, need, we still need to have the awe of him. And we don't need to move into a casual relationship. See, Philadelphia had that intimate relationship with him city of brotherly love, the ecclesia of brotherly love. But then there's also that level of relationship that's just an acquaintance. This is how Ephesus had become. Ephesus had become, got into a place where they were just an acquaintance with the Lord. And the Lord told them, he says, you need to repent and return and come back to your what? First love. You need to come back to your first love. See, what I do here is not my first love. What I do, I'm, I'm traveling quite a bit this month. What I do when I go out from here, that's not my first love. He is my first love. Who's your second love? She's right there. Who's your third love? My family. This is way down to the bottom of the list. We, we've, we, we've got grandkids coming on spring break this month, and I'm taking the whole entire week off to spend it with, I'm not even coming in, y'all. Don't call me unless somebody dies. 
I'm taking the whole week off to play with my grandkids. I'm just going to enjoy them. I'm not going to try to heal somebody over in Sebring or anything like that. I'm just going to spend time playing with my boys, getting them in the ocean, tussling, wrestling, throwing them in the water, and all kind of stuff like that, having fun with them. Because I don't want to be an acquaintance with my grandkids. And we don't need to be an acquaintance with the Lord. Listen to this. This is Ephesians chapter 1, 18 through 21. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saint? And what is exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places far above all principality, power, might, and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Now, it shows us where he has seated the Lord. He seated the Lord in heavenly places, but he is far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. Now, look at verse chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him. Where are we? With him. He's raised us up with him and, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is our relational position with Christ. It is heavenly. <clears throat> Help me, Lord. Our relational position with him is not earthly. It's heavenly. You are a heavenly creature. You're not an earthly creature. You've been made in his image. You're walking on this earth. But you've been put here to bring his kingdom, to bring his image, to bring his likeness, to bring his presence, to bring his glory into the earth. That's why you're here. We've been seated up there with him, but guess where we're not only up there with him, we're also far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. We're far above all them. We're far above all the witchcraft. Witchcraft been attacking you? Climb. Start praying in tongues. Go higher. That's what you do. Sing. Go higher. Get up there where he is, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. Sometimes intercessors think too much about the devil. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be aware of his schemes because the Bible tells us to be aware of his schemes. But sometimes we give him too much credit. I remember two or three times in conferences I've held across Florida, I've had intercessors come to me and say, there's witches here. What are we going to do? There's witches here. And they're trying to put, the enemy's trying to use them to put a negative thought in my mind to get me off of the purpose of what God has brought us there for. First time it happened, I'll never forget that. I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? He said, go up there to the pulpit and welcome all the witches to the conference. So I did. I got up to the pulpit there and I said, listen, somebody told me there are witches here. I don't know if there are, but if you're here, I just want to welcome you to a Holy Ghost conference here that we're having in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're welcome to be here. Now, see, what they wanted me to get up there is to get up there and rebuke and bind and, 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 and cast out demons and stuff like that. And God, there's times to do that. Don't get me wrong. But that wasn't the setting for that. And so even the enemy will use our, his, our own tactics against us to get us off track of what the Lord is wanting us to do. That's good there. Help me finish this, Lord. Man is made to be a heavenly creation. Even in 2 Corinthians um, 5, 21, I think it is. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. In intimate relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we have dominion in the earth. 
Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. Let's turn there real quickly. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image. You have been made in the image of God. Throw that Sigmund Freud stuff out the window that says you've got split personalities. You've been made in God's image. As a matter of fact, this word image is the uh, Hebrew word um, talisim, and it actually means you resemble him. You resemble God. That's why I said when it says that we are heirs of God, what we inherit is God. We inherit his character. We inherit his power. We inherit his authority. We inherit relationship with him. <coughs> you know, as, as I can remember this as a young boy, the biggest thing I wanted with, between my dad and I was to be just like him so he'd be proud of me. I wanted to be just like him. I even wanted to be like him so much one time when I was about 10 years old. I said, Dad, I want to smoke cigarettes. I did because I wanted to be like him. And so he gave me a whole pack, sent me in the bathroom until I turned green, and I never smoked one since. I'm not saying that's the best way to do it, but that's what happened. <laughs> but I so desired to be like him. And when Levi, he's about 22, 23 years old now, when he was about five or six years old, I was working on a car one day. And working on, Cheryl had a nosemobile, and I was working on it. And I was outside, and I had a wrench in my back pocket. I had my shirt off because it was hot. And so Levi, he goes and gets a wrench out of my toolbox, puts it in his back pocket, takes his shirt off, pokes his belly out like this. He said, now I'm just like Papa." I'll never forget it. I wish I'd had a picture of that. But we've been made in his image. And because many times of our rejection and our insecurity, we try to move out of that image that God has placed us in. And we try, like, we try to be in the image of the world. But there's something that, at least for me, it, when I go that way, and I can go that way, and I've been that way. It wasn't long ago I was that way. I was getting out of the image of the Lord and getting the image of Ken. And, but there was a wooing back, something that was saying, that's not who you are. That's not who you are. You become who I've made you to be, who I've called you to be. See, in this Genesis 1, 26 through 28, let's finish reading. He says, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created him, them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I love this. Not only does he say that we're made in God's image, he tells us not only that, but to rule. Not to be ruled, but to rule. Now, see, I have rule over everything in this earth except you. I can't rule you. The moment I start trying to rule you, that gets into witchcraft. The moment, and I'm going to even put it like this. The moment that... I would try to bring you into what I want you to be is witchcraft. I want you to be like him, not like Ken Malone. I want you to be like him. I'm going to point you to Jesus. He's given us, and he said there in verse 26 that he's he given us dominion. And I mentioned this last Sunday, and I want to mention it again because it was so good. He's given us rulership and dominion over creeps. Every creep that creeps in the earth, we have dominion over. I have the dominion over the creep of sickness. I have dominion over the creep of disease. I have dominion over the creep of poverty. I have dominion over the creep of despair. The dominion over the creep of insecurity. Dominion over the creep of rejection. And the list goes on and on. I have that dominion. You have that dominion. But will you walk in that dominion? To walk in that dominion, you have to walk like Christ. You have to walk 
as a new creation. Old things pass away. I don't walk like I used to walk. My family, when we were growing up, we used to plan for sicknesses every year. We would talk about the season. We'd talk about the season we're going to be sick in. Anybody else had a medicine cabinet? There's some over there. It's not Cheryl and I, but the family I was raised in. And, and, and they're not a bad family, just that was the way that they were raised. But we would prepare. You know, you, all that, all that. We would prepare for the cold season. We would prepare for the flu season, all this kind of stuff. And we would say, don't go outside when it's cold because you might catch a cold. Cold outside doesn't give you a cold. Go figure. It'll, it'll make you, fro- it'll freeze you, but it won't, it won't make you cold. I, I fell in a creek in the middle of winter one year when I was hunting. And I, I don't know what happened, but we were, me and a friend was walking across a log, and he was ahead of me, and he was saying, don't fall off this log. And, and the log was about that wide, and the, the creek was only like four or five feet down. And I said, I've never fallen off a log in my life. Walked across there, bam. I hit the ground. I hit the creek. And it was cold. It was like 30 degrees outside. You know, and I just got up and pushed through it and kept rabbit hunting. I wasn't going to let that little bit of wet keep me from rabbit hunting. But I came down with a cold. But you know why I came down with a cold? Because my mind told me. My mind told me I was going to get a cold because I fell in the creek in the dead of winter. And I got one. Thank you, Jesus, for delivering me. He says, number three, that, that we're called to be blessed. We're not called to be cursed. I don't like these Christians who are walking around saying, this person has a curse on them. Get your tongue off of them. Start blessing them. Thank you, Brian. There were some people up at the sin last week that had, had banners up there and posters and talking about the people who were speaking there were false prophets. And, and, was, uh, and, and the thing is, I knew one of them. Used to work with me, um, helping me do worship across Florida. I couldn't believe he was doing that. He, he, he said this right here. He said, there's Ken Malone. I used to run with Ken Malone. I used to do worship with him across Florida, but I don't do that anymore. You have to, you, you, these people, he said, are false prophets. I'm standing there. Hello. I'm just starting binding the witchcraft. In Jesus' name. I am blessed beyond the curse. I like that song. And blessed beyond the curse, his promise will endure. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I am blessed. I'm not cursed. I'm above and not beneath. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm going to stop right there. 